Welcome to Beatitudes, where your host, Dr. Kwamenich Sukina, will give you tools to experience wisdom in your everyday life. Listen each week as Dr. Kwamenich Sukina shares stories that will help guide your faith, perspective, and attitude in every situation. This is Dr. Sukina of Indigenous Messengers International, and here is our host. Today, we're going to talk about be good seed, therefore, the miraculous seed that you already are. In 2017, I made a trip to West Virginia where I was born, and I lived the first eight years of my life there. It was a rites of passage trip for me because I wanted to go back and explore where I had come from and who I'd come from, like my ancestors. I had been doing some research some ancestry research, and I was really wanting to go kind of like on a, a little trip and and just see all these places, not just the places that I knew about when I was a child, but I wanted to look up the people that had gone on before me and find, find out my roots. I traveled alone on the trip, and I, I was there for two weeks, and I spent that time rediscovering the places that had been really significant to me as a child. The memories just flooded back. And pieces that had been fragmented in my life came back together. I remember while I was there in the town of Lusburg, where I had lived when I was, I was born in Charleston, but my mom and dad and I, my little brother, lived in Lusburg. And I remember walking down the streets of that city and just feeling, just smelling the air and feeling the feelings and going back to that time in my life as a child And I remember thinking, this was the place of my innocence and the time of my innocence. And this was also the time of my innocence lost because my parents went through a divorce when we lived in that city. The people that I come from were coal miners. They were English and Scotch-Irish settlers with a mixture of other cultures, including Native American from from what I've been been told. My grandfather and his before him were both coal miners. Outside, the coal mines were outside of Charleston, West Virginia, where all of my relatives pretty much lived. And both my parents were born and raised there. When I was six years old, my parents divorced due to my my dad's alcoholism. And in 1958, I mean, it was really rare to to be a child from a divorce. But the severity of my dad's alcoholism just forced my mom to have to do this to protect my brother and I because it was very, very serious. My father, because of his alcoholism being so progressed, he gave up his rights to both my brother and I, and we were adopted by our stepfather in 1962. As a result of this, I lost touch with that whole side of my family, including my grandmother, which was my, my dad's mom. I, I didn't even get to see her again after after that time. In the fall of 1971, I returned to West Virginia the first time to meet up with that side of my family again. I had left home. I was, I was 19 or 20 years old, and I, I was just wanting to know where I came from, that part of my life. It wasn't that I, I was... I loved my, my stepdad who had adopted me, and that was my daddy to me, because to me, a dad is not just someone biological. It's a person that really takes care of you and parents you. <clears throat> so he was my dad that adopted me. 
but I wanted to know my bio dad because I wanted to know a little bit about myself. I met my, my, I met my, my biological father, and then I met his sisters, who were my aunts, and I was told by my aunts that my grandmother had recently died. At that time, you know, I, I don't think I really thought a lot about that, a lot about her and what that, you know, like wishing that I had gone earlier or whatever that I could have seen her. Now that I'm at my age that I am, and now that I have grandchildren, I, you know, I think to myself, wow, you know, it's even more so. I wish she could have seen me because I think that would have been so meaningful to her. My aunts told me, they said, your grandmother just loved you so much and she never stopped praying for you from the time she last saw you when you were six years old until she crossed the veil. And, I, and at that time, like I said, that it, it wasn't as impactful to me as that is today. On my trip in 2015, when I went back then, it had been 55 years since I'd been to the land of my forefathers. And, you know, while I was there, I wanted to find the graves of my people, and I wanted to stop because I'd learned about honor, and honor was very important to me. So I wanted to stop, find their graves, and, and go visit their graves and honor them as the matriarchs and patriarchs of our family. You know, by this time, I'm older, you know, I'm in my 60s, and I'm like, wow, these people, someday soon, I'm going to be a grave. <laughs> Will anybody come and visit me? Um, you know? It made me realize these were real people that had real lives, that made big sacrifices so that I could be here. And so it was important to me to honor them. When I planned the trip, I really didn't have any idea where to start at all. So I just went to the Orbitz web website, and I looked on there, and, and I got a motel room in Charleston. And when I got to the hotel room, or motel room, um, I sat down my first evening there and I made a list of all the funeral homes and cemeteries in the Charleston area because I'm like, I didn't know where to start. So I started down the list the next morning and I just started calling them and asking if they had anyone buried there with the names of my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And when I came to the second or third one on the list, it was a match. And this was what was so incredible to me. It was a half a mile from the hotel that I'd booked. I was like, I don't think that's an accident. It was like I had just been led there. They told me at, at the cemetery, just stop by here when you get here and come into the office and we'll give you a map to help you find their graves. When I came to my, my dad's mother's grave, my paternal grandmother, who was named Susie Barnett, I felt a deep connection as I gazed at her headstone. I'm like, here's this woman you know, that I can barely remember. But I know she was significant to me, and I felt that. It dawned on me, at that time it hit me deeply in my gut that she had not seen me since I was six years old. And since I, at the time I had a three-year-old granddaughter that was the delight of my life, still is, it hit home to me how difficult that really must have been, or at least could have been for her. I was like, wow. To have known me for six years and then never to see me again was unfathomable to me. To cross the veil never having seen those two grandchildren. And I felt really sad for her. And, you know, the fact that my 
stepfather had adopted me. I don't know if that impeded her from doing, moving in that direction, reaching out. I don't know if my mother allowed her to see us. I have no idea. I know that my mom did away with the pictures of our childhood with my biological father when she married my stepdad. It was if she wanted to step into a new life without those memories that were so traumatic for her. So I don't know. I can't put that on my grandmother. I don't know if she didn't want to come. I don't know if she couldn't come. But it made me feel sad for her regardless. At that moment, while I was standing there looking at her 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 tombstone that had her name on it, I felt the Creator speak to my heart. And as I've shared with you in these podcasts, I'm not saying I heard an, an audible voice, but the way that I feel a connection with my higher power, Yahweh, God, the Lord, all of those names, Abba, my spiritual father, the source of all things, is I have a knowing in my knower that I didn't know before. Excuse me. And I'm like, I'll all of a sudden know something or I hear something. I hear my higher power. I hear the Lord. I hear Yahweh, the Messiah, saying things to me, asking me things, guiding me, comforting me that normally uh, two seconds before I didn't. And so I heard the creator speak to my heart. And this is what I heard him say. Stand on your grandmother's grave. And I was like, I mean, I like, I argued with God. I was like, I can't stand on her grave. That would be disrespectful. And then I heard it again. Stand on her grave. I've learned not to push back too hard, you know, at this place where God has something for me, like he's teaching me or directing me or comforting me. Just the comfort of hearing his guidance and his voice. So at this point, I stepped onto the grave of Susie Barnett my grandmother, in Charleston, West Virginia. The creator then said to me, raise your arms over your head and put in, put your, reach your hands up to the sky. And so I obediently, I raised my arms over my head and put my fingers out like, and the creator then, then said these words to me, your arms and hands are symbolic of the bloom of a flower the flower that you are. Your grandmother is the seed that went into the ground here that you came from. Her prayers shaped your destiny and anchored you to me. She is the good seed that went into the ground and is very much fruit. That fruit is you. Your job now is to be that same good seed that will be buried so that your grandchildren will also bear much fruit in their lives. I left there resolute to be good seed. And in our elder years, we need to be. We don't have a lot of time yet. And we need to understand that we are going to be buried like seeds. And we need to make sure that we're creating a harvest that's going to be a redemptive harvest, a good harvest that comes from good seed. What is a seed? A seed is the embryo of a new plant, and so it's a living thing. And based on the fact that we as humans also came from an embryo, we are seeds as well. 
in 2010, while I was going through a really rough time, uh, a rough patch health-wise, which I have, it comes and goes, I was also struggling through grief with the recent death of my mother, and this was causing me like a perfect storm to deal with my own mortality. I was in one of those times with God, and I was telling him, I just didn't like the way that he'd figured things out. I'm like, God, I think this death thing just stinks, and I don't know why we have to go through it. I said to him, why didn't you just keep us up there if we're just going to die anyway? I don't get it. Being a very sensitive and empathetic person, I have to confess to you that it really bothers me when I see a dead bug or a dead rabbit on the road or a flower that's bloomed and died and is hanging wilted on the plant. Death makes me very sad. The death of anything makes me very sad. I feel that in my body. I get bees out of the pool when they're drowning because I just love life. I love every minute of it, even on my hardest day. And I'm not looking forward to that. When other people say, I just can't wait to go home, I'm really going to be glad to be with my Messiah. I know that I'll be so glad. And to be with my people that have gone on before me, I'm just not in a hurry. I still have things to do here. God sent me here. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience, and I want to have that human experience. And I love everything God made. And so when I see something that's dead or that has died, that has passed on, I want to stop and, and do condolences. I want to stop and honor the life of that thing, that plant, that animal, whatever that is, that person. It's just really big in me. At this point, I laid out my complaints to the head of the universe, much like Job did, and he answered me swiftly. He said, Quamanique, you're a seed, and you are not contrary to nature. Every seed must die and go into the ground to be more, born anew into a different form. Remember, it is simply nature, and you can't set yourself above or apart from that process. It's the destiny of the seed. Destiny of the seed that you are. You are a seed. It set me to research the destiny of the seed. I mean, like, I wanted to know, what does a seed actually go through? I'm like, if this is going to be my life, I want to have a little bit of knowing to prepare myself, if I can, for what, what is my life as a seed going to be? Plants and humans alike all come from an embryo, and the seed itself contains the food for the young living being, much like the placenta that's provided in the uterus for the baby. It's, the baby is fed from that seed. Case in point, we really are from a seed, and that means we also are going to go to seed. When you hear of something going to seed where the plant begins to make its own seeds or pods or whatever, and the wind comes and disperses it. Or a dandelion, one of the white dandelions that you pick up and blow it, that's, it's gone to seed. We are going to go to seed just as well. Seeds need proper temperature, moisture, air, light, and darkness to grow. Seeds actually germinate best in the dark. 
light, which is needed in the seedling process, actually inhibits germination of the seed. Light is only needed when the seeds begin to sprout. Some seeds need lacerating with a sharp knife or nicking with nail clippers or roughing up the seed coat with sandpaper or freezing the seed and then tossing it into boiling water. <laughs> Yikes! You know, when I read that part, I was like, I, I can relate. I have felt this sometimes in my life. And this is the clincher. The thicker the coat, the more of that that is needed. The more the seed has to be roughed up, the thicker the coat. Seed coats are on the seed, put there by God to function as a barrier to damage or injury of the seed. So God was in the seed coat. He made it for a purpose. The first process of the seed, once it enters the ground, is to rupture. Think about that word. When you think of appendix, rupturing. When you think of something rupturing, it, it's not always a, a good thought. But that's the first thing that happens when the seed's placed in the ground. To look like it's ceasing to exist and rotting. That is exactly what's happening. It is falling apart. The seed is ceasing to exist in the form that it once was, and it's being transformed into a, a new being. But first, it looks like a mess, a total mess, a blob. Next, the decaying seed, it forms what's called a radical. And it's this little sprout that comes up toward the bottom and that radical is used to anchor the plant into the ground. This, is, this radical is the root. And this is what's, it, and it, it grows downward. It has to go, grow downward because it's going to establish the plant, hold it there, and then the plant can begin to absorb water. Once it absorbs water, the rudimentary stem emerges and creeps toward the top of the soil. There it's going to push through the soil and it's going to begin the process of being a plant. Now when we go, uh, my husband and I just went the last couple days and we picked up plants to plant. We did not pick up seeds. <laughs> the plants, that, and a lot of people don't grow from seed. They go to Home Depot or Lowe's or one of those places or the garden store at Walmart or wherever, Target, and they'll pick up plants. The plants have already gone through this process. They're beautiful sitting in these little cups with dirt with roots already strong and the green and the, and the flower. That is not what the process of what the seed goes through in the beginning. Plant life consists of five stages. The seed, seed germination, seedling, the seedling, the adult plant, pollination, and fertilization. As I pondered the message from the Creator to myself about being a seed and that my life is not going to be contrary to nature, I'm not, you know, I'm not eternally unique. I'm not going to be set apart from that. I'm not, I'm not entitled not to have to go through that. I'm a seed. I'm going to go through this process. During that time, I saw the connection to our lives as a spiritual being having a human experience and being a seed. We come from a fertilized seed, the seed of our parents. 
which is the process of their of fertilization of the seed in their lives. That seed is fertilized. This produces us, which is the seed that we are. Then God deals with us in the same way that he does with nature, working to help us be good seed and bring forth an abundant harvest, healthy harvest. Our seed coats can be our coping mechanisms to protect us, just like the seed coat from protects the seed from damage and injury given by God, put there. However, when the Creator's ready to bring forth a harvest in our lives, He is going to work to damage our thick seed coats, and He's going to go after our coping mechanisms in order to prepare us for planting. We cannot keep those seed coats on and then the seed germinate. So there's times we're going through things in life and it feels like we're being destroyed. Uh, there's times I've said, to, I've said to the Lord, Lord, how long are you going to keep me on this altar being burned up? Am I just going to turn into an ash? It's, it's scary, especially I, I had said one time to someone that I was talking to about coping mechanisms that we go through things in life and we're kind of, we hit these, these hard places, but we've been giving these coping mechanisms that we've established during our childhoods to deal with these places that are dysfunctional or lack that we've had or abandonment or trauma. And then we get into our adult lives and we're going along on the ship of our life and we've got these coping mechanisms all around us. And then all of a sudden the ship blows up. And we're out in the middle of the water and we're floating on a plank. That plank is, is one of our coping mechanisms. And we're praying for God to come. God, come and rescue me. God, come and get me. God, come and, you know, get me out of these waters are going to overtake me. And God comes and he comes up and we think he's going to pick us right up out of the water and hug our necks. And he goes, hand me your plank. Now we're out in this ocean of despair, treading the water with one arm over the plank We've been there for days, begging God to show up, and he's asking us to hand him the plank. And we're like, I'm not, hand you my plank? I'm out here floating on this plank. You want me just to drown out here? And he's like, hand me the plank. That's him going after the seed, damaging the seed coat so that we can go through the process. And you know, when we take our last breath, that's what's going to be. When we cross over, that last battle of death, that's the last great battle. It's going to be him taking our plank and us surrendering as he reaches down and grabs our hand and pulls us over into the next realm, which is eternity. He will, he will work to damage our seed coats in order to prepare us for planting. This means our coping mechanisms will cease to work. And there's, that can cause you to feel pretty desperate. Once planted, then, we are also in for quite a time. We'll be buried in the dark, the dark night of the soul for some people, they might say, saturated with water till we rupture. <laughs> yes, in the dark, in the dark, because germination is delayed if there's light on the subject. So we, we're in a dark place where we can't see what's coming up ahead. We can't see the future. We can't see. We can't see. It's too dark. 
Yikes. I don't like the dark. I thought now, at one point in my life, well, God is light, and everything darkness is reserved for evil. <coughs> Never mind that the scripture says that Moses went up to the mountain and entered the darkness to meet God with where he was. So you're telling me then that God resides in darkness too. Interesting. I get a drink of water here. My throat has a tickle in it. <coughs> so let me get this straight. We're in the darkness, rotting and falling apart, <laughs> drowning in water in order to grow. The answer is sometimes. That's why when we're in these dark places, it's so important to remember the life of the seed so we can have hope through the process knowing that it is natural to fall apart sometimes in order to come together and be transformed into a whole new person in our lives. God's with us in the process above the ground when the sun is shining on us and we can feel his light and his warmth. But he's also with us under the ground, hidden from view, when everything is dark and isolated. He is there, and he will bring beauty from ashes. I also took note that most of the growth in the beginning was under the ground, out of sight. And the first step in implantation, and implantation is that thing that roots you, the first step in implantation of the seed was that the root or radical starts growing, but it grows down into the deeper and darker places. The root doing this is necessary because we cannot be anchored or established. We have to go down before we go up. So when we're thinking that nothing's happening because nothing is showing on the surface, the plant is actually growing in the opposite direction and this is meant to be. God's ways are not our ways. From the outside, there is not noticeable change to everybody else seeing and looking. But from the inside, hidden from the eyes of man, the Creator is performing a miracle that happens millions of times through His hands. Just like a baby is in the womb. We can't see that baby. We might see some movement from time to time. But people can't see that baby. It, you have to have faith that there's a baby in there. You have to trust that there's a baby in there. He is establishing a plant that will soon switch direction. The direction of growth will be switched and pushed toward the surface and burst through the soil into the light. This means if I'm not contrary to nature, then I can and will do the very same thing. I will come forth and then I will bloom and then I will be fertilized through pollination and then I will spread my seeds as the winds of the Creator blows on me and the process will continue on in the lives of the seeds that are dispersed from me. Whether that be the physical seed of my children and grandchildren or the spiritual seed of my adopted grandchildren 
and the people that I have known and loved and poured into in my life. The process is the same, and that's for all of us. It's simply nature, guys. It's the process designed by the Creator, and it will not fail. The Creator established the principle of sowing and reaping in the earth. He's placed it within every seed, the power to produce a harvest, to duplicate itself and multiply. You know, so I've seen this thing before where someone would hold up a picture of an acorn and say, what do you see? And most people would say an, ac- an acorn. And, and the person that was doing the seminar said, no, it's an oak tree. <laughs> you should see the oak tree because it's already in the seed. It's already there. Seeds always produce after their own kind. He's placed within every seed the power to produce a harvest, to duplicate itself and multiply. I will produce after my own kind. If I care about those coming after me, then I must have the qualities of a good seed to produce good fruit in future generations. The Cherokee people, my people, they prayed seven generations into the future for their children and their grandchildren. They couldn't see that far. And that's why I've also said, you know, with blood quantum, there are many First Nations people that don't have blood quantum, that have First Nations blood in them. But I don't think when my ancestors seven generations ago were praying that they didn't pray for those of us that didn't have blood quantum. My husband does have blood quantum. He's half, he's registered, tribally registered, federally recognized, and he's half, his mother was full Anubiac. I don't have that in my in my DNA. Mine is more mine I've got more different things in there. However, I as a grandmother, I can t- and my grandmother never stopped praying for me. She never saw me again after 6. As a grandmother, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to not pray for certain kids because they don't have a certain amount of DNA. They're my grandkids. Now, I'm not saying this to cause a political issue with within First Nations or but I'm just saying that we need to have the heart when we're thinking of these things sometimes. We need to have the heart of a mother and a grandmother, of a father and a grandfather, and not let the government place things on our mind that cause us to believe things that might not be totally in our benefit and the, and the benefit of our people. Like the seed that germinates in the dark, when I go through difficult and dark times, God's still at work in my life, and he's at work in yours too. And though it's not visible and remains hidden, this scripture states that the process of my faith will allow me to believe even when I don't see or feel the growth. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. This means that when we step into the darkness... And trust God when we can't see the outcome. Like the seed underground in the dirt and the dark. That's actually us walking in faith. Yep, we're seeds and it's up to us to be good seed. Seeds that will produce a harvest that's worthy of the generations to follow. We're also miraculous seeds. Each single person that's listening to this podcast and the kajillions of people that are in the world, and the ones that have gone before, and the ones yet to come. We are also miraculous seeds. 
The life of the seed is a miracle. You know, we have a lot of churches. We look, we're always wanting a miracle, see a miracle. And that's wonderful to see God work a miracle. I mean, we have a miracle in front of us every single day. Just look in the mirror. If you want to see a miracle, a sign and a wonder. I've said that about myself. I am a sign and a wonder. The fact that I'm still here after all these years, 36 years, I just recently had six anaphylactic episodes. Three were life-threatening for me. I'm still here. The miraculous life of the seed. I am a hardy seed. I can tell you that. I am a tenacious seed. The life of the seed is a miracle. And the life of you as a seed is a miracle. Let me tell you why. You see, when you were conceived... 40 million to 1.2 billion sperm began the most important race of your life, along with the one egg that started the race from the other end of the track. Now, think about this. They had to meet up at a certain place in the fallopian tubes on a date, <laughs> and they had to be there at the same time. That egg could not go down a different fallopian tube. You know, there's two, there was two options. So it had to be right in the right fallopian tube for them to meet up at just the right time. They had to leave the starting line at, at the right time, and they had to be in, in the right place in the track to begin their great dance, this great dance that became you. Of those 40 million to 1.2 billion sperm racing to the finish line, only 2 million would reach the cervix. Of your mother. Only one million would enter the uterus. Odds going down here. Then only 5,000 would make it to the uterotubal junction, and only a thousand would make it to the fallopian tube. A thousand out of 40 million to 1.2 billion. Finally, get this now, only 200 would reach the egg, and of that 200, only one would penetrate the egg to become you. You. Miraculous you. This means that you don't have to try harder. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to try to be a winner. You are already a winner. You have completed the most difficult race of your life with the most challenging odds, 40 million or 1.2 billion to one odds, and you won the race. There is no more to do needed. All that's left is just to be, to be the miraculous seed you already are. I hope that this talk will help you to know how special you are, how unique you are. You're a one of a kind. My husband is an artist and he paints originals and then he signs them. And you are that original piece of artwork that God signed, put his name across. One of you, one of you that's going to come through this planet like Halley's Comet once in so many billion years. Only one in, in all eternity. 
Thank you for being with me today. Uh, your time is valuable. I, I always tell you that because I want to remind myself of that and you as well. Your time is valuable and you gave stuff to your, some to yourself today. You pulled aside to be inspired and you gave time to me because when I share this, I know you're there. I see, I just in my mind see you and I'm actually talking to you. I'm not trying to read off a script or I want to have a conversation with you because you do matter to me. I care deeply about humanity and I care deeply about every single thing and person God made and that would be you. You can go to our website, indigenousmessengers.com, and learn more about me as your host, about my husband, the work that we've done over the years, and there's things on that website that you can order, read, learn about. So I welcome you to do that. And as I close today, I want to remember my children and my grandchildren. I, I just want to sit here for a minute and think about them in my mind. I have a lot of them, and at some point I'm going to name them by name and maybe tell you something special about each one. But I want to remember them, especially in this talk about the seed, being good seed. That is what propels me to try to live my life with integrity. I am human, and I make a lot of mistakes. I'm not perfect. I, I have shared with you that I've been through an addictive lifestyle. I was raised in an alcoholic family. I've had many dysfunctions. My children can listen to this podcast because they've been through a lot with me over the years and they would be like, gosh, I wish mom had that wisdom back when, she, when I was little. It doesn't always come that way. My living amends to my children is to live my, diff my life differently because we can't always go back. Um, I think I was a good enough mother, but I, there are a lot of holes, a lot of holes, a lot of things I missed that I, that I look back now on and I do have regrets. But my children and my grandchildren are very forgiving. They're good people. I want to live my life to the best of my ability to be good seed. I want them to be able to think about me now and think about me later and be proud of me and, and, and be glad that I'm in their life. So I encourage you to do the same. I dedicate this to my, my children and my grandchildren who are my heart. Bless you. Thank you for listening to Beatitudes with Dr. Kwamenik Sukina. Be sure to follow the show for more tools on how to experience wisdom in your everyday life for you to walk in victory with the right attitude.